to get to know me a little bit, I was I think I met everybody here. Um, so let me get give you a little intro to who Carl is. I got saved at the age of 19 years old. Um, I wish I could say I was raised in a Christian home. I was not. And I was pretty much one of those 70s teenagers that got to do anything I wanted, had the job, had the car, had my lifestyle. And uh, my older brother uh, had a, a an acquaintance who was into a lot of the spiritism, so a lot of the idolatry. And so I got hooked into that stuff for about, well, from 14 years old until uh, 19 years old. And so I got really deeply into the idolatry. And uh, it was pretty rough because uh, those who, if anybody else has gotten into it, uh, it's really hard to come out of it. And it's a very a very condemning um, because Satan is, is, a, is a liar, a deceiver, and a murderer. And so that's what he was doing to me, trying to kill me. And so this cute little girl named Lori, um, I got friends with her, and she's like, why don't you come to church with me? And I'm like, sure, you're cute, now go to your church. I had no idea what I was about to get into. And uh, Dr. Kimbrough at Calvary, he preached the gospel about three weeks of that. And I'm like, this is amazing. And why I got saved was because I was overwhelmed that God would love me. And you say, of course, God has loved the world. I didn't know John 3.16. I didn't know any Bible verses. I knew nothing about the Bible. And so I was overwhelmed because all that I knew was I try to get God to like me. I sacrifice. I do whatever it takes to get God. And by the way, that's what all religions are based on. Everything but Christianity is I will do for God so that he blesses me or gives me something. That's idolatry. It is for by grace are you saved. It's only by faith in him. And it's not our works. Or we could say, look what I've done. And so, so I got saved because of God's love for me. And the fact that all the garbage that I had done against people um, and everything who I was could be, could be forgiven. So love and forgiveness. They never mentioned hell. They never mentioned heaven. I didn't even think about where I was going. It was just a relationship with a God that would love me and would forgive me of everything. And I'm like, count me in. And once you have the Spirit of God inside of you, you start to learn. And you start to realize who God is as far as our Creator and coming King. And so it's, that's where you get to, get to grow. My wife's um, name is Lori. Um, uh, she was going to come, but uh, she's old. And so, Don, don't dare. Don't. So we have a really big passion play at our church, and it's a, a week that is crazy. And when I say that she's still recovering from that, and she's got the chronic fatigue syndrome, if you're familiar with that, so it nails her, and she's just wiped out. Two days, three days ago now, she slept. She got up, went back to bed at 10, slept till 3.30, went back to bed at 10, and, and overslept me, you know, slept longer than me. So I said, honey, I need to protect you, and as much as she wanted to come and meet you all, um, she uh, she stayed home, so she needs uh, she need, I need to take care of my wife. Love her. We've been married for thirty eight years. We have four kids and fifteen grandkids. It's awesome, man! Isn't that awesome? Yeah. So yeah, yeah it's good to good to be with you, uh, Gary. Good to see you, brother. I didn't know if I'd have a chance to see you while I was here. Good to have you, pastors. Good to have you here. And I don't know if you had a chance to meet everybody. I'm really glad. Um, thank you for inviting me. I told Ken last night, I said, 
And I told the folks last Sunday morning, I said, I'm a nervous wreck going to this church. They said, they're thinking, well, why? You do this all the time. I haven't preached outside of Northside Baptist Church since I don't know when. This is the first church, I think it was Kenny's church in Tippecanoe. That would have been many, many moons ago. I just, you know, I, I just do my thing. And so I don't get invites a lot. And so this is a real honor that you folks have entrusted me to share the word with you. And I take the word of God very, very serious. We have prayed. We've, I have people praying all day back there for this conference because there's a reason we study eschatology or the study of last days. There's a reason for that. I love First John's version of why we study uh, the coming of Christ and rapture in the future. He, he says, you know, behold what manner of love this Father has bestowed upon us so we should be called the sons of God. It doth not yet appear what we're going to be, but when he appears, what's going to happen? We're going to be like him. For we're going to see him as he is. So we're going to be transformed to be just like Jesus. And then he says, everyone that has this hope purifies himself, even as he is pure. So the purpose of studying eschatology is for it to affect our daily life now, that we're going to live a holy life for the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because we're going to be standing before him one day. And we're going to give an account of what we have done here on this earth according to our works, not our sin. Sin was taken care of at the cross. But our works, we have an accountability to our Savior for And then, as many of you know, we're then going to 1 Corinthians 3. We're going to be receiving a reward for those works that many of us, and we'll study it later on, those rewards, crowns, we call them, that we're going to be receiving. Anybody know what we're going to do with them? Yeah, we're going to cast them down to the throne of God someday. Well, those crowns are based on our works, what we have done here on this earth. So this is all connecting. So, folks, that's why when your pastor gets up and says, serve Jesus, The book of Titus is all about work, work for Jesus, serve him while you're here. There's a reason, and uh, it's really important. Um, I got thrown into this study about five, six years ago. This was not my intent. Okay, I'm busy Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I got all these preaching, you know, and I had this guy who decided on his own he was going to teach the Revelation, and he never asked he just started doing it and didn't realize he had an agenda. He was trying to get a group of people because he hated my guts and wanted to undermine the ministry. And so he got this core of people and started to teach them and got this, this group. It was about five people, six people. And then eventually um, he found some others and uh, they tried to have this coup, you know, to have me fired and everything like that. And Christian love, of course. And uh, what ended up, ended up, um, he, of course, he left and took as many as he could, which ended up being not very many. And, uh, but it hurt the, hurt the ministry, so we took a little sabbatical, and it was a turning point in my ministry. Turning point is me as a Christian. And those of you who have read the Psalms, and you can almost sense David curled up in a cave in a fetal position, weeping and crying to God. Because his own son, Absalom, is trying to kill him and take the ministry over. Or King Saul is hunting him down like a deer to kill him. And he's like, my God, my God, 
Why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22. All prophetic of what Jesus was going to go through. And we went through that, and God did a turning point in my life, and uh, God was really working. And we got back, I said, ministry is never going to be the same. God is first, period. I don't care what man says. I mean, I care. I listen. I want to have a good rapport. But I have to stand before God myself. I'm not even going to stand before Jesus with my wife or my kids. It's me and God, period. No one else to, no other lawyer, nobody else to defend me. It's me and God who knows all things. And so it was a revolution in my mind, in my life. So we, we, I went out to that class. I said, what do you want to do? I said, do you want to keep this revelation started? And they said, sure. I said, okay. So those five people became 20 people. They became 30 people. They became 40 people. And before long, if everybody shows up, we'd probably have 50-some people there. This is on a Tuesday morning from 9 o'clock to 10 o'clock. And we just bust work. A couple other churches, you know, have some people coming in. And we just started developing the word. And our approach, as you're going to see, is we're going to be going all over. But the revelation is an absolute key that Jesus talked about and the prophets talked about. And so we're going to be going through this timeline this first hour. And we're going to bring us to a place where we understand what do we what should you and I as Christians expect according to the scriptures? So that's ultimately uh, where we're heading to. So yeah, you've got your papers. Um, objective. We're going to go through these bullets really quick. Uh, it is to give an overview of the future events. We've already talked about that. Um, and by the way, for Gary and the, and the pastors, this this is an abridged version of what we're going to be talking about in September in uh, in uh, I don't know if we're going to Togo or Ghana. But uh, Togo. So we're going to be giving pastors there some some of this. But this is an abridged version of it, and so uh, so you guys know that. And then secondly is to give the clear timeline, and we're going to really talk about that right now. This session for future events seen in scripture, and then um, we're going to be answering questions as we go. So if I'm going along and you say, Carl, you lost me, I want you to stop me. Okay, stop and ask questions. If 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 I lose you, you're. You're not going to follow where we're going. So it's okay. And I try my very best to keep it simple. I told my people, please pray that I don't get in too big of a hurry. Um, Tuesday morning classes, I did the math. It takes us 100 hours to teach this. And we're doing it in probably five or six. So obviously we can't give you the whole version of it. But we're going to give you the highlights, okay? Uh, give, Give scripture. Um, to learn terms, that's second hour. Understand church age in relation to end times, that's us, yay. And then we're going to learn about the nation of Israel in relation to end times. Jesus talked a lot about that, and so does the Revelation and the Old Testament. So to give other uh, study helps for future personal studies. Here's a for instance. The very back page is this chart. I'm going to tell you about this. We're not going to have time to cover this. This is yours. But a sweet, sweet lady named Chris Sinning um, when I was teaching Revelation probably 12 years ago, she developed this chart on her own. Larkin had done a lot of charts, those who know who Larkin is, and she kind of based it on a little bit of his type of stuff. And she put this together, and she, when she did this, she was dying of cancer, and she is now home with the Lord. 
And she is a, just the a sweetest, sweetest Christian. She puts this together for her preacher. And so it, it, was, it was a beautiful thing. Also in the clear back, I wanted to give you this because a lot of people have the question about Daniel and the vision that he had about the different kingdoms or empires, we would call them. So those empires that are talked about in Daniel 2, 7, and then the connection of all, all of that information is right there for you. You can study this on your own. So you say, what is the, uh, the gold head? Well, let's talk about the lion. It talks about the Babylonian uh, empire. So it's dealing with the different empires. That will also help you, if you haven't studied out the term in, Revel- in Romans 11, the time of the Gentiles. The time of the Gentiles has to do with this, that there are all of these Gentile empires that have been connected the only time there seemed to be somewhat of an empire for Israel was under who, do you think? Solomon. David had a good one, but he was fighting. When Solomon got on, fighting was done. So what happened? Queen of Sheba comes to Israel. It's like Israel became a light to the nations. And she, she comes and says, I just want to see this. It's a picture of the millennial reign when Jesus Christ is on the throne in Jerusalem and the nations are called, Zechariah says, they're to come and to keep the feasts. They're to come and to worship. And so this is the connection that we, that we see. So you're going to see symbolism really beautifully as, as you see the future, future kingdom. So um, you can see those, and there's some other things on Ezekiel 37 through 39 that are extra. So those are studies that you can do, and uh, we'll talk about it, but more detail on your own. Um, and, then, and then, so we're going to study, the third from the end is we're going to uh, give our study helps for future personal, and then to forgive me for any and all typos. I'm not a writer. Okay, my wife is the writer. I'm not the writer. So she said, you wrote all of this? I said, yeah, honey. She goes, I'm so proud of you. <laughs> So, and also to laugh at all my jokes, whether they are funny or not, must laugh, sir. Carl, I've, I've often wondered this. Uh, maybe the answer is because of uh, Daniel living in, in the time that he did live in. Absolutely. But there were other uh, in, uh, powerful kingdoms before mm-hmm. Babylon. Absolutely. The first Babylon and the Assyrian Empire. Yep. Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, there, there are some other scriptures um, that you can not only see as Daniel laid out the future. For instance, the, um, the Assyrian, we, we, we have the Persian, and then we get into the Greek, Alexander the Great. All of that's prophesied in Daniel. And then you go further then to the Roman Empire. And so then you have this, um, this time period that really was a mystery to the Old Testament. It's known as the church age. Matter of fact, one of the seven mysteries that are talked about in the New Testament have to do with um, the mystery of Christ in you, the Gentiles, the hope of glory. That was a mystery to the Old Testament. Like, Gentiles are going to get saved? What's up with that? And then he says, the other mystery is Christ in the church, Ephesians 5. So this time period is like, I didn't see it coming. We get it now. And then there is a future empire that is going to be coming that is the resurrected Babylonian empire. 
that will be taken over. Why those others before that um, aren't mentioned, I don't know if it was because God viewed the division of the kingdom, north and south, and then them going into captivity by the Assyrians and into Babylonians later. If God says that seems to be a, a, a defining point that, that Israel will be familiar with that involved them. You follow me? So to me, that would probably be off the top of my head why it starts there. And, and then he deals with uh, the future because we deal with the, the future of, of the restoration of the nation of Israel under Ezra and Nehemiah and the rebuilding of the wall and the temple. And, and then also worship then begins as a result. And it's interesting because, I'm sorry, I'm getting sidetracked. But you got to know this, that second temple, God says, the second temple is going to have a greater glory than the first temple. And I'm like, well, wait a minute, the first one, you would think Solomon's temple, that would have been the one. But the reason is, is the second temple is the one that Jesus went into. And that's where he taught. The Messiah himself came to the temple and said, I'm the light of the world. I'm the lamb. I'm the sacrifice. And so that was, of course, destroyed 70 A.D. Babylonians and then we go, uh, or the uh, Romans and 70 A.D. with Titus, etc. And so there's that future one. So once the end of the um, uh, tribulation happens, that's when Jesus is going to be establishing his millennial kingdom. And that's when the conclusion of the time of the Gentiles is completed because there's no more any Gentile uh, kingdoms that are ever going to control the earth. Jesus on his throne, period, for then and then for all of eternity. So Romans 11 ties together the future of Israel and that the time of the Gentiles is going to cease. So that's when that will be uh, taking place. So this is all related to the, um, the different... Uh, the different timelines of the of the kingdoms, and I think that's a little bit why he didn't go backwards. He goes a little bit more from that time and forward. That that help you? Okay, good. Okay, um, so I want to give you the next bullet is emphasis. Sometimes what we do when we're studying the Bible is we get zeroing in on one verse, and we study that verse out. We get the Greek, we get you know everything else or Hebrew, and we're trying to study this specific word and everything. And sometimes what we forget to do is pull back from the word and to say, but why is that verse there related to the chapter, related to the book, related to the timeline? And so that's what I'm more of is a big picture guy. And so we're going to pull back, and what we're going to do is see the big picture, and where are we in it all? And so as we see the big picture, we see what the Old Testament emphasized was the millennial reign of Christ. God says to David, your kingdom is going to be an eternal kingdom. Well, David died. How can that be eternal? Because David is a picture of Jesus Christ. He is of the line of Judah. What did they talk to Jesus about when he was doing his triumphal entry? Thou son of David. So there's this connection, knowing that there's going to be a king coming related to David, and he's going to be coming someday for the reign. Um, so that's big picture. The Gospels, Jesus' teaching, was emphasizing um, his second coming. 
not rapture, second coming back to this earth. So Matthew 24, uh, Luke 17, a lot of these portions of Scripture, you know, he says, um, you know, as in the days of Noah, or as in the days of Lot, so is the coming of the Son of Man going to be. People are going to die. Catastrophes are going to happen. Earthquakes, wars, battles, all of this stuff. That's when Jesus Christ comes back. That's all tribulation talk about when he's coming back to this earth and what it is going to, to be like. Matter of fact, even before the church starts in Acts 2, the, the, remember how the disciples are there with Jesus and he gives the Great Commission? And he ascends in their sight. And as Jesus is going up into heaven, they're going, you know, just kind of gazing, mouths were open, I'm sure. And some angels come over and said, hey, what you looking at? And they're like... Uh, he's, they said, well, this very same Jesus who just left you is going to be coming in the same way. Where did Jesus ascend from? Mount, Mount of Olives. Okay, so at the Mount of Olives, he's going to be coming back. So guess what you see in Zechariah 14.4? Right there's the prophecy being fulfilled that Jesus is going to come back to the Mount of Olives. And it says when he comes back, he's going to create an earthquake. Boom. And it is going to be an earth-felt earthquake. He's going to divide that region. And he is going to come back with authority. And it also tells us in the Revelation 16, the last plague tells us that there is an earthquake unlike any earthquake ever before. Guess what caused it? Jesus. So there's your connection um, to that. So, so second coming, that's what Jesus... And now the epistles, that's you know generally what we're reading Romans on through. Well, the emphasis there, emphasis again, is on the rapture, on the resurrection of the church. And then when you get into the Revelation, the Revelation emphasizes the tribulation time period. So in chapters 6 through 19, majority of the Revelation is all about the tribulation time period. Now, that doesn't mean it doesn't talk about um, other things, rapture and things like that. Yep, absolutely does. But the emphasis I'm talking about is on that. That doesn't mean the general epistles don't talk about the day of the Lord, the judgment day. He does. But the emphasis is on rapture because that's our hope. He says, what is our hope? I'm sorry. What is our joy? Crown of rejoicing. Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? You know what the hope is for Christians? You know what makes us happy? Not a big checking account. What makes us happy is Jesus is coming back and snatching us away. And that's what's really cool. If I can, here's one neat thing, because this is a question I get a lot. Will we know each other in heaven? That verse just answered it. Paul was saying to the church there, when we are snatched away and we go up to heaven, I'm going to know you. My happiness and joy is that you're there because you received Christ as Savior. There's a knowledge of one another. He says, that's what's going to make me happy, seeing you in the air. So we are going to know one another and we're going to have a recognition and even an understanding. I led this person to the Lord and now they're up in heaven. These pastors that lead many to the Lord in in Africa, uh, they're going to be seeing them snatched at the same time period. Dead in Christ rise first. We're going to be alive and remain going up and alive and remain forever. And we're going to see one another. It's going to be awesome. People led to the Lord in Haiti. People led to the Lord. It's awesome. (laughs) It makes it happy. So. 
There's some references at the bottom of things that I've helped. Um, I'll bring those in next session. I forgot to bring them. Or did we bring them in? I can't remember. I'm old. Um, but uh, we'll have some books that you can take a peek at. Uh, Levy has some good ones. I'm going through another one right now that a friend of mine re- referenced. And uh, it's called 40 Days to Understand the Revelation. Good book so far. Really condenses it down. And I like that. I like the abridged, uh, the abridged version. Okay. So now, what time I got? Do I have 30 minutes yet? How much time have I got? What time is it? It's 10 o'clock? Okay, so I got till what time? Till 10.30. Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, and I'll give you some of them. Yeah, they're full of scripture. Yeah, yeah, you'll you'll see that as you go through. Um, it'll take you a long time because of the cross references they're going to give you. Yep. So that's what we want. And even for myself, I tried to give some, but I didn't give an exhaustive. Um, now, when you get into the uh, rapture, which is a third session today, if I remember um, biblical proof, you're going to see there's just. One, two, three, four. There's like eight, ten verses, uh, chapters to go through, and so not just a verse, but actually portions, so that you will uh, you'll have them. Now here is where we have fun. This is what my Tuesday morning group loves to go through because this is what we call the big picture. What's going to happen? And usually this takes almost an hour, but we're going to be. Uh, it might get. I'm probably going in front of a microphone. Am I? Yeah. I'll stay. I'll, I'm going to stay right here. That way, I gotta, I gotta be able to walk though. Yeah, I got because I'm, I'm ADD, so I gotta be able to walk around. Here we go. Now I can walk. Good, good. So this is what they every at the end of each chapter we do this. So we we rehearse this all the time to a point where many of them know where I'm going. That's the purpose. I actually want them to know what I'm gonna be saying before I say it. That means they're starting to get the flow, the timeline of the concept. So God tells us that um, the Old Testament was the law given by Moses. John 1 talks about this. Um, The law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And Jesus said there is a new agreement, New Testament uh, for you and I, or really for the whole world. And it is, is grace to the ages through the person of Jesus Christ. So once Christ died and rose again, um, there was a uh, ascension that takes place. And in chapter 2, Jesus said, listen, you wait in Jerusalem until the promise of the Father takes place. The promise of the Father is the Holy Spirit who is going to be coming down. Acts 2, that takes place. Many of us look at that as the beginning of the church age. As Peter preaches to the Jews in Jerusalem, thousands get saved. We got a church established. Okay, so we have a time period that begins the church after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and His ascension. So we have this time period in Acts chapter two. G, uh, Peter, when preaching to the Jews, 
quotes Joel 2. And he said, well, this is what Joel 2 talked about. This is the day that it finally happened. And he said, the spear's going to come down, but you are going to, you're going to speak in tongues. You're going to have these sign gifts. The sign gifts, 1 Corinthians 1, also says, the Jews require a sign. So the sign gifts were all for the Jews. Who was present there? Jews from all around the world. So they're preaching and hearing the tongues. And, and he says, why are you surprised that this happened? You read it in the Bible. That's, by the way, that's like us too. It's in the Bible. It's there. Why don't we believe what it said? And it came to pass. And he says, this is what Joel said, the last days. So he actually uses that, Joel 2 and Acts 2, as understanding that the last days have started already. And we're going to see more of this later. First John says, we're in the last days already. Here we are. So our last days continues on through until the end, until basically it's, it's kind of a, a term for eschatology. It's like all of this tribulation and millennial reign until finally Satan's put in the lake of fire and new heaven and new earth. Now we're done with the last days. So it's a continuation thought of all of that. So we're in the last days already. So in this timeline, there's a conclusion to the church age. And listen, there's a promise given to you and I that is not given to anybody else of any age. It wasn't given to the Old Testament saints. It is not given to the trib saints or millennial saints. You and I are the bride of Christ. We are a unique people in this time period. And what he tells us is you and I, 1 Corinthians 15, are going to be snatched away up into the clouds. As, as Colossians you know, 3, when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, we shall also appear with him in glory. John 14, I'm going to come again and receive you unto myself. He didn't say I'm coming back to earth. He's coming back to take you and I up to be with him. So here we are taken up into glory and everything changes at that point. Second Thessalonians gets into that. Now the Antichrist can come on the scene down here. So we're snatched away and we're in heaven. Well, what do we expect to first happen in heaven when we're there? We already talked about it earlier. Judgment seat of Christ. First thing we're going to go through is the judgment. So we're going to go through the time period when all of us will give an account of our own selves to the Lord. Romans 14, other places talks about that. And so we're going to be judged for our works. After we're judged for our works, Sunday morning, we're going to get into Revelation 4, 5, 7, and a bunch of other places to find out what on earth are we going to be doing in heaven? So one of the things that we're going to do is we're going to be up there and we're going to be with Jesus and we're going to be worshiping. And as we talked about in chapter 4, it tells us that 24 elders cast their crowns down at the throne of God. And so that's part of it. So, so we're up in heaven. The marriage feast, <clears throat> the marriage feast for the Jewish people was a beautiful thing. The... It starts out a little different in that the, the man would go to the lady and he would literally offer her a, a, a glass of wine. If she took that wine and she drank it, 
that began the covenant. That was her saying, yep, I'll marry you. So that was where the engagement happened. So as soon as that engagement happened, he goes, I'm getting married. And she's like, I'm getting married. And then guess what he does? He leaves her. He's gone. And guess what he's doing? He's preparing a place for her to live. So he's going away and, you know, putting it all together. And then the appointed time, he's going to go back and get her. She doesn't know when it's going to happen, by the way. He just comes as a surprise and brings her and says, honey, here it is. And that would last for seven days. Picture of the seven-year trip. So we're in heaven having a marriage while all the garbage is happening down here on this earth. So we're up in heaven. We're not in the trip. Because the rapture, and we're going to show you this, is all about happy, 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 happy. Okay, that's what rapture is. We're snatched away. We're going to be with Jesus. And what concludes then the seven-year trip is in chapter 19, known as the marriage feast of the Lamb. So since we are espoused to Him, we are going to have this marriage feast. What you you and I are promised as Christians is that we will have a body that will not corrupt that's going to be fashioned like his glorious body. It is a body without sin. And we're able to go zooming up to heaven and zooming back down to earth. And we're going to have like these really cool bodies like Jesus has. Philippians 2 actually says that our bodies will be fashioned just like Jesus' body. So we're going to be transformed. That wasn't the promise to the Old Testament saints. That's not promise to the trip. That's us. We are the ones that are given that promise because we're uniquely created for the purpose of Jesus Christ for the eternal kingdom. We're unique. So we're snatched away. We're in heaven. We go through the judgment seat. That's what's happening. The end then of chapter in chapter 19. Anybody remember what happens after the marriage feast of the Lamb? Jesus gets on a white horse and he comes back down to this earth as king of kings and lord of lords. And there's a whole bunch of people on white horses too with white robes. Guess who that is? Yay, that's us. So we come back with King Jesus and watch him take over. By the way, it's interesting. We're just covered this Sunday or Tuesday. It says that his vesture is dipped in blood. You know, by the way, that's not the blood of the cross. That's the blood of the enemy. He's coming back as a warrior. He's going to kill and destroy. That's Armageddon. But it's interesting. The rest of the people, it says on white horses, have white robes. You know what that's telling you? We're, we don't have to fight. Jesus is going to do all the fighting. And we observe. And then we're part of the king as kings and priests. We'll talk about that Sunday morning. So that's us. So on earth. So we're snatched away. We're up in heaven. So get that. We're here. So don't think we're here. If we're here, we can't be here because we're not God omnipresent. Okay? So we're in heaven, earth. What's going to happen? Now, this is when it gets really fun. So we're snatched away. 2 Thessalonians 2 tells us there's something that is holding back the Antichrist, holding back the devil and his agenda. That's Sunday school's lesson, by the way. So we have this, you know, we're holding this back. You know, here we are um, trying to, to 
vote morality. We're trying to promote morality. We're trying to promote what a home is. We're trying to promote everything but sodomy and the, and the garbage that's going on in this world. So here we are promoting holiness by what we believe, what we live. We're light to this world. We're salt to this world. And all of a sudden, we're gone. Every Christian around the world is gone. The first time in all of history, for that moment, there will be no believer on earth. No believing politician, no believing uh, judge, no believing uh, lawyer, no, no churches that are true believers, gone. Now the Antichrist comes in and says, yeah, now. That's why he says that which is holding him back is going to be taken away. And then shall the son of perdition be revealed. Which also answers another question. Does the church know who the Antichrist is going to be? The answer is no. It says he's not going to be revealed until after. So he's going to come on the scene as Savior. Aren't you glad to have me here on your side? So here's what, how he is going to be making this whole transition to him being the man. Many believe, my teachers believe, that once we are raptured, that doesn't start the tribulation. Not yet. Hold on. There has to be something happens according to Daniel 9. It's going to be a peace treaty. Well, the question is, why would the world need a peace treaty? By the way, on the news, how many times do you hear them talking about peace treaties? It's all the time. So this is in the brain now. And so we believe that what God is going to do is in Ezekiel 37 through 39, he's going to take a hook and he's going to put it in Russia's jaw, Gog Magog, and he's going to draw Russia down to Israel. By the way, Egypt is part of it. Interesting how much that is in the news now. And then you also have Iran. Um, you have Syria. All of these regions. Would you have ever, when you guys were kids, thought about Russia and Syria together? Never. And here they are. So the question is, what could be drawing Russia into all this? God. So why? If you haven't done any research lately... Um, in the last years, guess what they have found under Jerusalem? Oil. What does Russia like? Oil, natural gas, all of this is right here in the city. So God is going to be doing something that says, come on down. But when they come down, they die. There's going to be a brutal world war that all of these regions are going to be merging upon Israel to wipe them out, genocide them, which is Psalm 83. Psalm 83, you want to read that one. It's like verse number two. It talks about the purpose is to genocide the Jews. And that's what Satan is all about. That's why Hitler, that's why um, Haman, that's why all of these time periods, Satan is about destroying these people because why? God's glory is in Jerusalem. He says, I have put my name there in Jerusalem and the Jews reflect on the God of the Bible and the world knows that. So, 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 so Satan is going to come in after this battle and he's going to say, you know what? Isn't it time for a peace treaty? Finally, people, let's just make this happen, all right? And they're going to be absolutely. So Israel and everybody, they're going to sign this according to Daniel 9, 27. And that's what starts the trip.
when Israel yields to the Antichrist. And it's going to start. Seven years. That seven years, God divides it in two. Three and a half, three and a half. Something in the middle of the tribulation is going to take place. Daniel 9, Matthew 24, I'll talk about this. Anybody know what that is that's going to happen mid-trib? Besides Ken, because I already talked to him about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. How much time do I got? Because we're going to do this again. I've, I should have brought my phone up. The ten, I got about 10 minutes yet? Okay. So, there it is. Thank you. I didn't see that. Old people don't, are not, not aware of their surroundings. Good job. You're the man. So, yeah, I know. I can see far away, just not close. So, so the Antichrist. So, if, and you're right, sister. If the Antichrist is going to go into a temple, and he's going to say, I'm God. And he's going to desecrate the temple. Does that tell you something that has to be built then that is going to be on the temple mount? A third temple. If you go to templeinstitute.org, templeinstitute.org, this is a non-believing Jewish organization that is all about the third temple. On this website, you can get them on Facebook, they'll tell you what is happening on the temple mount. Uh, last year, um, the Muslims would go up there, make a ruckus, tell the police it was the Jews that started it, and they're getting them down. The, the turning point was when the Muslims stabbed uh, somebody. Uh, I think it was an officer, and so that really hurt them. So we haven't heard quite as much uh, lately, but they hate the Jews being on there because that's where their Dome of the Rock is. And so they hate the Jews being up there because they believe Ishmael was the descendant that God chose through Abraham and that he put Ishmael on, on that uh, altar, not Isaac. So they believe they are descendants of Abraham. So they're like, no, this is ours. And the Jews are like, wrong. And we as Christians say, Muslims, you're wrong because it was Isaac indeed. And so, so for for the Jews to be able to put a third temple on the mount, something big has to change. So the world war causing peace would allow them. What they're also teaching me is that the Dome of the Rock is in the wrong spot. That the actual place was off to the side. Can't remember if it was a little bit further south or what it was. And so they're going to be able to say, we're okay with this. Let's put this temple up. And it can be erected, they're saying, in weeks to be able to start sacrificing. Because it doesn't have to be Solomon's temple. The key is the furniture that has to be put in to fulfill the sacrifice on the outside, the labor for the cleansing, the one room, which is the, the fellowship room, where the light, the, uh, the altar of incense, and the candle is, and then the Holy of Holies is the other room. Can we, let me go up here first. This guy had his hand up first. Yes. Uh, where does uh, the, the temple that Ezra uh, was working on, where does that fit in? If you say this is the third temple, well, it, it seems that, that when Ezra built the second temple, uh, 
that that was the one that I talked about earlier, that one would have a glory that would be greater than. What happened with Herod is Herod began to renovate the existing temple. So he embellished it. So it was known as Herod's, but it was the one that was built under Ezra. So we would see that as the second temple that was then destroyed in 70 AD, wiped out. And Jesus in Matthew 24 says, see all these stones at the temple? Not going to be one rock upon the other. It's all going to be wiped out, burned out. And since that time period, there has not been until night. And this is a little bit, I'm getting sidetracked, but um, from 70 AD, the Jews scatter until 1948, folks. All that time period, there's been no temple. There has been no nation. There's not been a constitution. They haven't had a land and a government until the Balfour Agreement was given by France. And they said, we're giving Israel the land. And then the Muslims, of course, came in, and you can get in one and Google the wars of Israel, the Six-Day War, the War of uh, Yom Kippur, and these battles where the Muslims were trying to take over. And guess what God did? Jews won, and they ended up getting more land than was originally given to them. You think God's hand isn't on these people? It's powerful. So I believe that that will be a third temple, not a fourth one, unless you consider Herod's renovation as a third. But I would see that as the same. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're, that in that light, they're figuring on this is going to be majestic. This is going to be big. But what we're hearing from this, and I agree with what we're hearing from this group, is that, um, that they want an immediate ability to have these sacrifices. You can actually YouTube, there are, in the last few years, there are some Jews that are actually doing the oblation where they go through and they mimic the sacrifice. So they're taking the lamb, cutting, spilling the blood, catching it, a whole nine yards. So they're like, we're called in the law to sacrifice. Why aren't we doing this? So in their heart, so right now, since 1948, there are more Jews living in Jerusalem than anywhere else in the world now. Biggie. They have become a nation. Biggie. They're hated by everybody. Biggie. All of this. And now Russia in the news. So that war is going to happen, I feel, after rapture. I'm not saying Jesus is coming today. I don't know. He can come a thousand years from now. He's going to come when he wants to come. But um, we, we definitely see some of this stuff brewing. Sir. Yes, sir. Yes. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Absolutely right.
Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. Yep. Yes, sir. Yeah, matter of fact, which, which you reminded me also, those with specific last names that are Jewish are being questioned that if it gets running, will you be part? Because the last name reflects their office. Okay, related to um, Cohen's and etc. will be in the Jewish descendant, uh, priestly descendant. So they would want them to participate. So the answer um, that I feel is this. Once we're raptured, there, that's why this Gog, Magog, Ezekiel 37 to 39 is imperative to take place so that they, the Jews, would be allowed to put this on the Temple Mount because there has to be a peace treaty. So once the peace treaty is there, they can quickly put together this temple and begin the sacrifices. So, so there would be the, the Gog, Magog, war, then there will be the peace treaty, Daniel 9.27, and then the sacrifices are going to start. The reason, and now I'm going back to where I was at, when he goes in to the temple, the Antichrist, the first thing he says is, all sacrifices have to stop. He's going to cause the sacrifices to cease. I was talking to Ken last night. Why would the Antichrist want the Jews to stop sacrificing lambs? Why would he cause all that to stop? Why do you think? I have my idea why. Yeah. The Old Testament sacrifices, who did that point to? All the sacrifices that resemble Jesus Christ are going to be stopped because I'm the new Messiah. He was the Lamb of God. Now, I'm the Messiah. That's part of what we're going to learn about in Sunday school, the agenda of Satan. So he's going to cause those oblations to cease, those sacrifices to cease. He's going to take, let me get this guy over here first. Yes, sir. Yeah. The, the, the Levitical, yeah, so as I mentioned, last name of the Jews teach them what their ancestors were part of. So the Cohens, Levi, Levi, if you're following me, they would actually know what tribe they're from based on their names. Yep, so that's, that's a good question. And I've just recently, in the last couple of years, actually talk, uh, uh, learned about that and the fact that they are actually reaching out to Jews that are saying, hey, your last name is, would you be willing, if we get this going, to be part of, of, uh, of this whole system? Because they, they can't just say, okay, there's the temple. Right. I mean, it has to be organized with the actual people qualified according to the law that they will be able to do it. So they have to get all those things uh, line, lined up. Yes, sir. And I got to get your first name again. Paul. Paul, okay. Uh, is there, are there three wars? Do we have the war before uh, mm-hmm. the sacrificial system? And then there's a war just prior to when Christ comes. Yes, sir. Onto the Mount of Olives. That's right. And then at the end of, of the millennial reign, there will be a period where Antichrist mm-hmm. uh, Good job. Yeah. My teachers, 
show me that the phrase Gog Magog is the way we would say world war. It's a mega battle that's about to take place. And that's why Ezekiel deals with Gog Magog. And then the Revelation 19, um, yeah, 19 deals um, with the Armageddon, and then 20 deals with another Gog Magog. And so that phrase, what I'm told, Brother Milky, I kind of knows him, uh, he says he sees that as a phrase that deals with multiple countries coming in to fight. Because you'll see in Ezekiel, it's not just Russia, but you also have Iran, all that region. You have Egypt all coming to merge on Jerusalem. So it will be another way of saying world war. So there's three wars. We have the initial war to start the trib. You know, it's going to be part of the starting of the trib. The end of that is the war that is in the Jezreel Valley. It's called Armageddon, many believe, because of a ridge called Megiddo. Megiddo in this Jezreel Valley overlooks this 200-mile, basically, as, as um, many have said when they view it, it's the most perfect place for a war. Flat land. Okay? And so, um, so that's going to be where that is going to happen. And then that's Armageddon. And then we're going to have the millennial reign. And then we're going to have, it settles us from the four corners. So north, south, east, west. Everybody's going to merge on Jerusalem to kill the Messiah. I'd like to ask them how they think that's going to turn out. And then they're going to try to take the land over because Satan says we can do it. And they're going to follow. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's exactly right. And that's where somehow Satan is going to deceive again the nations to say, come to war. Come on. Come on in. Let's make this happen now. And they're going to, he's going to be summoning them. Remember, I talked about the river Euphrates, etc., being dried up so that the troops can actually make it across on dry ground. So God's going to say, hey, I'm going to make everything possible for you all to be able to come on over and to come into this battle. Jezreel Valley, matter of fact, um, I may do, if it's okay, I'm going to set my laptop. I put together a really quick PowerPoint um, that shows some pictures of the Jezreel Valley, Megiddo, and some other things that are related to Armageddon. Um, so I can actually uh, pull, some pictures were from when Lori and I were there, and some are from a, uh, a, uh, a, uh, uh, some teachings that I'm receiving on the land. So that's my next uh, thing I'm working on is, is understanding the land a little bit better than I do. So that's what I'm working on right now. Now, let me give this real quick summary then, because we're, we're almost done. So we're raptured. We're in heaven. First thing that's going to happen to us is judgment seat of Christ. Okay? Christians only. We're with Jesus for seven years. End of the seven, we're going to be part of the marriage feast of the Lamb. And then we get to come down. On earth... After we're raptured, we believe that there's going to be a battle, Gog Magog, that's going to cause a peace treaty. This peace treaty in Daniel 9.27 is what's going to start to trip. So this tribulation lasts for seven years. Mid-trib, what's going to happen? Antichrist is going to go into the temple. David Jeremiah said he believes he's going to take the image into the Holy of Holies to desecrate it like Antichrist did uh, with the pig back under Greek, the Greeks did that, to desecrate the temple 
And he's going to say, Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28, I am God. And he's going to desecrate. And that's when Jesus said in Matthew 24, that's when great tribulation is going to happen. So Jesus says the last half of the trib is great tribulation, like no man has ever seen before. That's why when people say, I think we're in a tribulation, trust me, the trib is unlike any other time. It's just not because Satan is loose. It's because the wrath that we're going to talk about is coming from God and coming down on this earth. So what's going to end then the tribulation time period is the Armageddon. That's when Jesus comes back on the white horse, takes over the judgment of the sheep and goats. Remember that one? Separate the sheep and goats. That's when that's going to happen. This is the nations are going to be separated. The sheep get to stay on the earth. Yay! And then they get the same commission that was given to Adam and the same commission that was given to um, Noah when he got off the boat. Multiply. Plenish the earth. It's here. And Jesus Christ is going to rule and reign the nations during that time period. And the end of that is when the last war is going to be. That's that Gog, Magog, when Satan is going to be loosed and he's going to deceive the lost people on the earth and they're going to try to take over the kingdom and Jesus says, you're done. So he destroys everything. Not only the lost, but he destroys the earth and its elements. Second Peter 3 gets into the detail of that. Knowing that all of this is going to be burned up someday, how should we live? Isn't that interesting? He, he says, we look forward. We, the church, look forward to a new heaven and a new earth. Because guess what? It's finally done. No more devil. No more temptation. No tree of knowledge of good and evil. We're not going to do this again. <laughs> Did you get that one? Okay, we're not going to start this whole thing over again. And it's going to be perfect, eternal kingdom. Yay! And we win. So, yeah. Now, each time we do this, I'm going to add a little more. Okay, so we're going to do this probably two, three times. Show you the big picture. And, and if you need references, as his brother was saying, uh, we, we will definitely have some right here. Um, that's from my memory. Okay, so this is what this page is all about right here. So now you have the references, the concepts. That's the big picture of what's going to happen to us, the church. And then secondly, the rest of the world. So that's the big picture. Hey, look at that, 1030. That's right. I am so proud of me. <laughs> okay, here's the 